What have we been talking about, Barb? Shadows of Golgotha. So for the last six plus months, we started from the Old Testament and we're going from Genesis all the way through the Old Testament and we want to see pictures of the cross throughout the Old Testament. And the reason is I want to show you guys how the cross of Christ, Christ and Him crucified, was not just a, a, a plan B or, you know, a spirit of the moment kind of a thing when God, when Adam fell in sin, oh, God said, oh, I'm, what I'm going to do? Oh, maybe I can send Jesus to die for them. This is God's focal point when it comes from all eternity to all eternity, God always looked at the cross. Amen? We have been going through so many pictures so far, and now we arrive to Leviticus chapter 23. If you're not very familiar with the book of Leviticus, there is like major milestone in that book that you need to know. As, as, a, as a Christian, you need to know this uh, from God's word. The first five chapters talk about the first five sacrifices. And these are all pictures of Christ crucified. We spend time talking about that, right? And then you need to know Leviticus 16. That's what we finished last week. And that is the day of atonement. And that is... Very foundational for the New Testament. So many references in the New Testament for the Day of Atonement. If you don't know the Day of Atonement, you'll miss a lot in the New Testament. Then it's good to know Leviticus 23 that we're going to be talking about today. That's the feasts, the celebrations that Israel as a nation was doing throughout the year. And then... Hopefully next week we're going to stop at Leviticus 25. That's the year of Jubilee. We're going to be talking about Christ our Jubilee. Amen? So that's pretty much the, the milestone. Not to say that the rest is not important, but if you only need to pick up a few information to know, to get an idea about the book of Leviticus, I encourage you to look into this. Amen? So today we arrive to Leviticus 23. And in this chapter, God is telling Moses about seven feasts, seven um, celebrations that the nation of Israel, Israel will undergo throughout the year. And I want to go through that with you guys, and I want you to see how these seven chronological chronological, uh, seven feasts actually represent the journey of the believer, each one of, the, of us who's born again by the Spirit of God, from living in sin, an enemy far away from God, all the way to heaven. You're going to see a beautiful picture of that going through when we go through the, the, the seven feasts that God has commanded Moses. Amen? Um, you can, you're welcome to open your Bibles. I picked and chose some verses we're not going to go through that chapter word for word or verse for verse. I just want to highlight the main points uh, so you can see the general, the big picture. Amen? So the first feast is actually the Passover. In the calendar year, that's the very first year for the Jews. And that will be the Passover. We read about that in Leviticus 23 verse 5. On the 14th day of the what month? First month. At the twilight, at the evening, this is the Lord's Passover. So at the very first month of that year, on the 14th day in the evening, that's when the Jews start celebrating what? The Passover, the first national uh, feast that Israel as a nation will celebrate. We talked about this before. We spent four or five weeks talking about Christ, our Passover. Amen? 
And the symbolism that we saw when we studied Christ our Passover is this. If you guys remember the story, the nation of Israel were enslaved in the land of Egypt for 400 years. And then, in order for God to release them out of the land of Egypt, God said, you, every single household, or if the household is poor, then two or three can combine together and get a lamb. And they slaughtered that lamb and they applied the blood onto the, the, the doorpost and the lintel of that door. So outside as a sign for them. And God said the angel of destruction, the angel of death will pass through that land at night. Amen. And he said that the blood shall be a sign for you. Amen. The blood shall be a sign for you. If the angel of destruction see the blood, then the angel of destruction will pass over that people. Hence the word Passover, right? And if the angel doesn't see the blood, then the angel of death will pass through the people and kill the firstborn of that household. You guys follow that? You either pass through over or pass through. And the one thing that makes the difference is what? Is the blood outside. Amen? Doesn't that... Sound familiar to you and me, right? We all sinners. We all broke the law of God. We all have sinned against a holy and a righteous God. And there's absolutely nothing in our ability that we can do to make ourselves right with God. Amen? Not our sincerity, not our will intention, not our good deeds. There's absolutely nothing that can make the wrath of a holy and a righteous God pass over us. Except one thing and one thing only. And that is what? The blood of Jesus. If you're washed, if you're covered by the blood, the wrath of God will pass over you. If you're not covered by the blood of Jesus, then the wrath of God will pass through you. This is not good. Amen? But this is how we come to know God. It's only when we run and take refuge in the blood of Jesus from our sins and the wrath that we have rightly earned before God. That is the symbolism of the Passover feast. And remember, they celebrated when? The first month, right? And the 14th day. We talked about this because the first month, that's brand new, right? Because, because of that Passover, because of that blood, it's not just the wrath will pass, but everything will become brand new for the children of Israel. Because the Bible says, if anyone in Christ Jesus is what? And you are? creation. So the blood protects you from the wrath of God from the outside and it makes you a brand new creation from that inside. Amen? Where we see that? John 1.29, here is the symbolism. The very next day, John the Baptist saw Jesus coming toward him and he said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away what? The sin of the world. We talked about this again when when John said, Behold the Lamb of God. He's talking to the Jews who already knows the Old Testament. And they know that there was a Lamb that was slaughtered on the day of the Passover. And because of that Lamb, the wrath of God has passed over them. And John was making the connection. And John was saying, Micah, sweetie, do you want to go outside? And John was making the connection and John was saying that this very lamb that was slaughtered on the day of the Passover is a picture of Christ who died on the cross and through his blood we can pass, the wrath of God can pass over us. Amen? Now this is the first feast. The second feast is called the unleavened bread. We we'll read about that in verse 6 right after verse 5 and it says, And on the 15th day, so remember, 
First month, 14th day, in the evening, they celebrate what? The Passover. The very next day, they go to sleep, they wake up in the morning, they have a new feast. It's called the Unleavened Bread. And on the 15th day, on the same month, is the Feast of the Unleavened Bread to the Lord. Seven days you must not eat unleavened bread. So for seven days, they feast after the, the celebration of the Passover, and it's called the unleavened bread. There's one condition in that feast. Can somebody help me? What is it? You cannot eat, not bread, leavened bread. You can eat unleavened bread, but you cannot eat leavened bread. We talked about this multiple times before. Leaven in the scripture is, is a picture of sin. So many times, we're going to see it right now, actually, when we read that verse. The, the Bible pictured uh, sin as living that just can grow and grow and grow and end up taking, uh, taking over. And, and God is saying in the Old Testament, right after the Passover, you have to live a life of holiness. There has to be no sin in you. Amen? And that's precisely what happens to you and me as New Testament believers. We are far away from God. We are enemies to a holy and a righteous God because of our sins. But because of the blood of Jesus, now we are being adopted into the very family of God. We are as children of God because of the blood of Jesus. But doesn't mean that you and me can go out and live any life we want. Amen? The same blood that saves you from the wrath of God also cleanses you and changes you and make you a brand new creation in Christ Jesus. Amen? 1 Corinthians 5, 6-8. Paul talked about this. And he said, Your glorying is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? Therefore, look at what Paul's saying, Purge out the old leaven, that you may be a new lump. Since you truly are unleavened. Again, leaven is sin. So synonymous with sin here. He's saying, move all the old filth away from you so you can brand new lump. Since you are truly sanctified, you are truly holy, set apart to the Lord. For indeed, Christ our Passover was what? Was sacrificed for us. Therefore, let us keep that feast. Remember Paul? Precisely making a reference here to Leviticus 23. God said you celebrate the Passover. The very next day you, you feast on the unleavened bread. And he's saying just like the nation of Israel was literally celebrating the Passover and then the unleavened bread. We as Christians should celebrate that in a spiritual sense. Amen. Jesus our Passover died for our sins. Therefore just like the children of Israel feasted with unleavened bread. So we also should live a holy life. A Apart from sin. For indeed Christ our Passover was sacrificed for us. And look at this word. Notice this word for me. It says what? Therefore. Do you see that? Therefore. What does that mean? That means what is coming now is a result because of what just he said. What did he say? Christ was crucified for us. What is the result of that? Therefore. What happens? Let us keep the feast, not with old leaven, nor with the leaven of malice and wickedness. See, he's not talking about literal leaven. He's talking about sin. Amen. The leaven of malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and the truth. So Paul was telling the Corinthians, just like in the Old Testament, when the nation of Israel will celebrate the Passover, and right after that, they launch into a life of holiness. So should we. Amen. When you come to Christ Jesus, His blood will make the wrath of God pass over you and His Holy Spirit will make you inside a brand new creation and you will become brand new in Christ Jesus. 
That's the second feast. Now let's move to the third feast. And that is called the first fruit. We read about that from in verses 9 to 11. And the Lord spoke to Moses saying, Speak to the children of Israel and say to them, When you come unto the land which I give to you and reap the harvest. So, let's pause. The first two, two feasts are in the first month, right? The 14th and then a week starting the 15th. Now, the harvest time. That's still within the spring range, okay? Spring Time frame. So God is saying, when you go to the land, you reap the harvest, you shall bring a, a sheaf of, um, of a first fruits of your harvest to the priest. He shall wave the sheaf before the Lord and be accepted on your behalf. On that day after the Sabbath, the priest shall wave it. There's also some other rituals to that. So God said, when, when you go to the land and you reap the harvest, what you need to do is you need to bring a, a bundle of, of wheat. That is the, the very first thing that you reap from the harvest. And you need to bring it to the priest. So the first fruit goes to where? To God, right? The very first thing goes to God. And you take that, uh, that bundle of, of wheat and you wave it before the Lord as an offering. And it is called the offering of the what? The first fruit. And that was a feast that the children of Israel, now they have the harvest and they need to celebrate that. And they enjoy that as a national feast. But it all starts with that wave offering of that bundle of wheat that it's presented to the priest. Amen? What is the picture? What is the symbolism in that? And notice the chronological order here. Um, that we see here, the picture here, is that through the resurrection of Christ, we have the hope of eternal life. So in the Passover, we see that through the resurrection of, through the death of Christ and His resurrection, the wrath of God passed over us. And the unleavened bread, we see that through the bloodshed of Christ and His resurrection, we are brand new creation. Now, in that first fruit, we see that through the death and resurrection of Christ, we have the hope of eternal life. Where we get that from? Here it is. It's in, actually, if you read with me, 1 Corinthians 15, 20-23. Here is what Paul was saying. But now Christ is risen from the dead and has become what? When Paul was saying first fruit, I believe that he has that feast in mind when he was referring to Christ being the first fruit of those who have fallen asleep. For since by man came death, that's by Adam death has come, by man also, now that's Jesus, also have come the resurrection from the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ all shall be made alive. Amen. Isn't that good news? Let's just read it again. This is just so powerful. For as in Adam all die, so even so in Christ all shall be made alive. Why? Because Christ is our first fruit. He's the first one who rose from the dead. He opened the door for us. And because of his resurrection, we also know that one day you and me will be in the presence of a holy and a righteous God. Because Christ, our very first fruit of resurrection, has risen. And because of his resurrection, we know that we have life. Amen? Yes. So that is the, the three feasts so far. Pass over through the blood of Jesus. The wrath of God passes over you. The unleavened bread through the blood of Jesus. You can become a brand new creation. The first fruit through the blood of Jesus. Through his death and resurrection. You have hope of eternal life. But then we we'll move on to the, to the fourth celebration. And that is the feast of the Pentecost. Or the feast of the weeks. We read about that in verses 15 to 17. Now look at that. And you shall count for yourselves from the day after the Sabbath, from the day that you have brought the sheaf of the wave offering, 
what, what is he talking about here? That's the, the feast of the first fruit, right? He said that on that very Sabbath, Sabbath after that, that the harvest, you bring that bundle of wheat to the priest. And God said, from that day, you count for yourself 50 days. That's why, that's where you get the word Pentecost, 5, 50. You count yourself um, from that day of the Sabbath, um, seven Sabbath shall be completed. So seven by seven is what? 49, right? And that one day that puts it at 50. Count 50 days to the day after the seventh Sabbath. Then you shall offer a new grain offering to the... To the Lord, you shall bring from your dwelling two wave loaves of two tenths of ephah. So rem notice this, this is very important. On the first fruit feast, what do the, the worshiper bring to God? They bring a bundle of the, the wheat, right? But now what do they bring here in the day of Pentecost? They bring actual loaves of bread that they have baked from the wheat that they just have harvested 50 days earlier. You guys follow that? They shall be of a fine flour. They shall be baked with leaven. So because they don't have to worry about that anymore. They are the first fruits to the Lord. Again, notice that because of the first fruit feast, because of what happened there, and the barley came out, the wheat came out, out of that they can actually now bake these bread, these loaves, and they can bring it and offer to the Lord on that day of Pentecost, on the day of the feast. Amen? What do we learn from that? We learn that because of what Jesus has done on the cross for us, because he died, because he rose again, you and me, well, let me stop here. What something major happened in the New Testament on, in, on the day of Pentecost? Anybody remembers? Acts chapter 2. Does it ring a bell to anybody? The Holy Spirit fell down, right? Fell down in the day of Pentecost. So that, that day, that feast in the New Testament tells us about the filling of the Holy Spirit. But notice that this is based on the first fruit feast. It's the barley that you reap there. It's the wheat that you reap there. It is the exact same thing that you use to bake the bread so you can offer it as a wave offering before the Lord on the day of Pentecost. Amen? What is God is trying to tell us here in the book of Leviticus? He's trying to tell us that because Jesus died on the cross and rose again from the dead, you and me now can be filled with the Holy Spirit. Amen? You guys see that? Yeah. It's connected. It's based on it. John 16, 7. Jesus made it so clearly. But very truly I say to you, it is for your own good that I, that I am going away. Look at this. Look at this. Look at this. Unless... I go away, the advocate will not come to you. Unless Jesus leaves, the Holy Spirit won't come. How did Jesus leave? He lived through the cross, the resurrection, and the ascension, right? This is how he left. And Jesus said, unless I die, unless I go to the cross, unless I am rose again from the dead and ascend to the right hand of God, you will not receive the Holy Spirit. But then he said after that, but if I go, which he did, I will send him to you. Amen? We are filled with the Holy Spirit because of what Jesus has done on the cross. Remember, we are a bunch of filthy sinners. Our vessels are so unclean for a holy and a righteous God to dwell in it, right? But once we are cleansed by the blood of Jesus, now we are fit for the masters. We are pure and holy before a holy and a righteous God. So much so that the Holy Spirit doesn't mind to dwell in us. Amen? This is good news. Amen? Yes. Acts 1.8 
what happened to the day of Pentecost? But you shall receive what Jesus said? Power. Power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you shall be my witnesses or witnesses to me in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the uttermost ends of the world. What was Jesus talking about here? He's talking about, literally, that was literally fulfilled in the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit came in Acts chapter 2, right? Yes. But this is not just a promise for the disciples. This is a promise to all of us. Amen? Yes. Now, let me ask a question. Let's look at that verse one more time. From that verse, from the words of Christ, what can be the metric, what can be the indication that you are filled with the Holy Spirit? Let's read it again. Verse Acts 1.8. But you shall receive power. power when you receive the Holy Spirit. That Greek word power is the exact same Greek word we talked about a couple of weeks ago. Dynamos, like the miracle doing power. The supernatural miracle doing power of God. You shall receive that miracle doing power when you receive that Holy Spirit. And what is the result of receiving the Holy Spirit and moving in that power? You shall be my... Witness. Witnesses. Everywhere you're going to witness to me and you're going to bear fruit. Amen? Yeah. So now let's go back and ask the question. What is the metric according to Jesus that you are filled with the Holy Spirit? Receive power. Amen? If you don't move in power, then guess what? You're not filled with the Holy Spirit. In, in that sense that Jesus has promised to the disciples. Amen? Now, let me just pause here and explain that a little bit. There is multiple terms in the scripture that describe the relationship between the believer and the Holy Spirit. Okay, The first term is sealed with the Holy Spirit. We read about that in, in Ephesians 1 uh, when Paul said, Once you believed, you sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. So once you become a Christian, once you commit your life to Christ, the Holy Spirit comes and dwells in you. That's the seal of the Holy Spirit, which is the guarantee, the down payment, that you're going to go to heaven one day because God has sealed you with the Holy Spirit. Amen? Yes. Now, there's other terms in the scripture that describe the relationship between the believer and the Holy Spirit. The word filled and the word baptized. Amen? Now, these two words, the scripture is vague, really, and they overlap. Sometimes, like Jesus said, you will be filled with the Holy Spirit. He's referring to Acts chapter 2. And what happens in Acts chapter 2? Peter referred to the exact same event, and he said that we are baptized with the Holy Spirit. So... It's the exact same event. Jesus said, you're filled with the Holy Spirit. Peter said, you're bapt we're baptized in the Holy Spirit. So baptism and, and filling can be distinct, but they can also overlap, which can make it confusing to try to make a distinction between, between them. Amen? But it doesn't mean that we need to experience them. If there's two different events, then we have to have both of them. Amen? Yes. We have to have it. Now, the word filled... In, in Greek, can refer to one of two things. In the New Testament, a continuous action of filling. We read about that in Ephesians chapter 5 when Paul said, Don't be drunk with, 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 um, with wine, but be always filled with the Holy Spirit. It's a continuous, ongoing thing. We read about that in the book of Acts. The disciples go out and witness, and then they get a beating. They go back and say, God, fill us more with the Holy Spirit. They go out and witness, come back to God and say, Fill us more with the Holy Spirit. So it's an ongoing thing that happens. The word filling can refer to that. But the word filling can also refer to a one incident when you're filled once and for all, an event in the life of the believer where you once and for all is filled or baptized with the Holy Spirit. And the sign that this has happened to you according to Jesus is what? 
there should be a miracle doing power manifesting in your life and you are a witness that you, according to that, I don't think I'm filled with the Holy Spirit. I don't see a lot of people getting saved. I pray for the sick and I don't see anybody getting healed or anything like that. So according to what Jesus said, I don't think I'm filled with the Holy Spirit in that sense. I pray in tongues and let me pause here for a second. We talked about this before. The scripture makes a distinction between tongues as a prayer language and tongues as a gift of the Holy Spirit. We've talked about this before. Tongues as a prayer language is the right of every believer. If you're a Christian today, if you're born again by the Spirit of God, you ought to seek praying in tongues as your prayer language between you and God. Amen? There is something else called the gift of tongues which function in the church setting. And this is the one that Paul was referring to and said the gift of tongues is not for everyone. Right? Tongues as a prayer language is for all believers. Where do we get that from? Acts 2. When the tongues of fire came down on the disciples. How many of the 120 disciples spoke in tongues? How many? So what is the percentage? 90%? 100%. Right? Yes. Out of 120 disciples, 120 spoken tongues, right? Yes. Because that was the prayer language. That's for all believers. But apart from that, there's tongues as well as a gift that function in the church that is not for everyone. Not for everyone. And if it ever practiced in the church, it has to be associated, associated with the interpretation, right? Yes. But notice this again. I love it when Brother Smock was here a few weeks, like maybe a few months ago, and he said, John, Jesus didn't say in Acts 1.8, and you shall receive tongues when you receive the Holy Spirit. Did he say that? No. He said what? You're going to receive miracle doing power when you receive the Holy yes. Spirit. And yes, true. Again, I'm a big advocate of you praying in tongues. I'm not taking that away. But I want to say something. Just praying in tongues, and I do pray in tongues, in itself is not the end goal. This is not what Jesus was talking about here in Acts 1.8. Oh, you're going to be able to pray in tongues. It's a wonderful gift from God. But there's more beyond just speaking or praying in tongues in your private life when you pray to God, when you're filled with the Holy Spirit. Amen? It is true that the Holy Spirit was manifested with tongues in Acts, Acts chapter 2. But was, there was more than just tongues. 3,000 people got saved that day. Amen? Yeah. So it's not just tongues. It is tongues. It's good. Seek it. It's good for you. You need to. You ought to have it. I'm not taking that away. But there is more beyond just having tongues as a prayer language into the life of being filled with the Holy Spirit. Amen? If you're baptized in the Holy Spirit, if you're filled with the Holy Spirit, signs and wonders should take place. You should lay hand on the sick and they should be healed. Yes. John 14, Jesus said, Truly, truly, I say to you, whosoever believes in me, Whosoever believes in me shall do the exact same works that I do and even greater works because I'm going to the Father. Whosoever believes. Are you a believer today in the name of Jesus? Yeah. Then this promise is for you and for me. I don't say it, but it doesn't mean that it's not true. Amen? It doesn't mean that I need to compromise God's word and say, oh, well, maybe God didn't mean it. Maybe Jesus didn't mean it. No, no it doesn't work this way. Maybe my life needs to change to match up the promises of Christ. Amen? Maybe we just need to seek harder. Maybe we just need to, be, to, to pray with more desperation and diligence so God will fill us and baptize us with the Holy Spirit and we'll see miracle doing power and people coming to know the Lord Jesus. Amen? Yes. Amen. Luke 24, 49. Um, Jesus, our Lord, do that as well. He said, he's telling the disciples, Behold, I send the, the promise of my Father upon you, but tarry in the city of Jerusalem until you are endued with the 
Dunamis, the miracle doing power. It's the baptism, it's the filling, you call it whatever you call it. I don't care what's your terminology for it, just let's experience it. That's what counts. Amen? Yes. So that is the day of Pentecost. So we're following through now through these feasts. We learn that through the blood of Jesus, the Passover, that the wrath of God will pass over us. Through the death and resurrection of Christ, we are called to live a holy and sanctified life before a holy and a righteous God. That's the unliving bread. Amen? And then we move on to the day of the, the feast of the first fruit. Because of the death and resurrection of Christ, we have the hope of eternal life. This is our salvation. Now it's our walk with God. We are called to be filled with the power and the anointing of the Holy Spirit so that we can be witnesses to Jesus and signs and wonders ought to follow us. Amen? Amen. Yes. That's the first four feasts. Or more than 50%. That's the good news for you guys. Number five, uh, feast number five, the feast of the trumpet. Now look at this, verse 23 to 25. Then the Lord spoke to Moses saying, Speak to the children of Israel saying, In the what? Seventh month. Now there is a gap. Do you realize that? The first four feasts kind of like cluster together. You know, um, the first month you have two feasts. You have the Passover and the unleavened bread. Then once the harvest happens, which is not far from that, you have that first fruit. 50 days from there you have the... Pentecost. Now you take a break. You take a break, probably pretty much the summertime, and now it comes almost to the fall. Okay, and now they have a different feast called the Feast of the Trumpets. This gap is amazing, and I'm going to tell you why. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel, saying, In the seventh month, on the first day of that month, you shall have a Sabbath rest, a memorial of blowing of trumpets, a holy convocation. You shall do no customary work in that, on it, and you shall offer an offering made by fire to the Lord. Amen? Trumpet in the New Testament, there is a big famous scripture in the book of Thessalonians that talks about the trumpet of God. Yes. Where is it? Thessalonians 1.4. When Paul was speaking about Christ coming to rapture the church, and this is what Paul said. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means proceed those who have already died, who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel and with the trumpet of God, do you see the trumpet again? And that dead in Christ will rise first, then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them on the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and thus we shall be with the Lord always. And that's what the fifth, do you see that the journey of the believer so far? You're cleansed by the blood, you're washed by the blood, then you're filled by the Holy Spirit, and then you wait a little bit. It's not right after that the trumpet comes. You wait a little bit for you to live and minister to the Lord. And then the rapture happened. Amen? There's a period here between the first four and the last three. The trumpet happened. And that's just a, a picture of the, the rapture when Christ will come to take his church. And we're all going to see the Lord in heaven. We're going to meet him in the cloud. Amen? Amen. Yes. The sixth feast is the day of the atonement. And we just finished... Three weeks talking about that. The ritual we read about in verses 26 to 27. And the Lord spoke to Moses and said, On the tenth day of the seventh month. So let's pause. The, the feast of the trumpet was on the seventh month, the first 
day, right? And then 10 days later, now you have another feast called the Day of Atonement. And this is the Day of Atonement. It shall be a holy convocation to you. You shall afflict your souls and offer an offering made by fire to the Lord. We talked about this before, three weeks, so we're not going to go back and look into it. But the main point of what happens in the Day of Atonement, remember when that goat Azazel will take the sins of the people and just be removed once and for all? That's the day, once a year, when God removed the sin of the people. Amen? And I believe this is a picture of what happened to us. Remember, you're, you're saved by grace through faith in Christ Jesus. Then you're filled by the Holy Spirit. Then you're raptured to be the presence of God. Will sin will be removed once and for all. Just like what the Day of Atonement tells us. Amen? Yes. And we're going to be in the presence of God where sin and pain and tears will be there no more. Amen? And then we move to the very last feast, and that is the Feast of the Tabernacle. We read about it, or both. Um, we read about it in verses 39 to 43. Also on the 15th day of the seventh month. So think about this. So in 15 days, you have three feasts. That's Christmas time for us. Amen? You have... The, the first day you have the trumpet, the Feast of the Trumpet. On the 10th day you have the Day of Atonement. And then on the 15th day you have the Feast of the Booth of the Tabernacle. It's very, very interesting. What they do is you gather, um, now harvest is done, the fruit of the land is reaped. All land is done, you know, growing and agriculture is all done. When you have gathered in the in the fruit of the land you shall keep the feast of the Lord for seven days. On the first day it shall be a Sabbath rest. On the eighth day a Sabbath rest. So the first and the eighth is a Sabbath rest. And you shall take for yourselves on the first day the fruit of beautiful trees, branches and palm trees and broad um, and burrows of leafy trees and willows of the brooks, and you shall rejoice before the Lord your God for seven days. You shall keep it as a feast to the Lord for seven days in the in that year. It shall be a statue forever in your generation. You shall celebrate in the seventh month. You shall dwell in, in booth or tabernacles for seven days, and you shall um, all... No, I missed that line. All who are native Israelites shall dwell in booth, that your generations may know that I made the children of Israel dwell in booth when I brought them out of the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. So starting on the 15th day of the seventh month, for a whole week, there is no more harvest. The harvest is already reaped, and they rejoice and enjoy the fruit of the harvest for seven days, and they live in tabernacle, right? For seven days in the presence of God, just resting and rejoicing. Amen? You guys start seeing the picture of that means to you and me? We one day also going to have that feast, but we're going to celebrate it in New Jerusalem. Amen. Where we're going to just be in the presence of God rejoicing and celebrating the, the, the love of our Redeemer. And God himself will dwell in our midst and we're just going to live with him. And that will be our eternal status. Amen. Yeah. Matthew 13, notice this is on the heels of the harvest being done, right? After the fruit is done, after the harvest is done, that feast happened. And that tells us in, in Matthew 13, 39, the enemy who sowed them, that's the devil, um, that, that's the devil that's talking about the wheat in the harvest. But then he said the harvest is the end of the age. Jesus is telling us, explaining the parable that he just said. He said that the harvest is the end of the age. So just like in the book of Leviticus, when we see that the harvest 
leads to the Feast of the Tabernacle. Jesus is telling us harvest in his parable represent the end of the age and the reapers are the angel. After that, we're going to launch into the eternal status, the eternal condition. Revelation 21.3, And I heard a loud voice. This is some good news for you guys and for me too. Amen. Let just this verse sink in your heart and your mind today. And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, that the what? The booth, the tabernacle. Does that ring a bell? The feast of the tabernacle. Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them. Amen. And they shall be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God. Amen. There is a note I left here. Read it on your own. Uh, it's a different way of looking at the feast, but I'm not concerned about it right now. But this is it, you guys. This is Leviticus 23. Um, the feasts that represent the journey that every believer, you and me, have. And it's all because of that, the blood of Jesus that was shed on the cross for you and me. Amen? Why don't we take a few minutes and just pray and thank the Lord for what He has done.